On today's success story, we have Michelle overcoming her chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. at the top of the show here i'll let you know that i have repurposed this interview this was on my overcoming pht podcast and contained so much value that i thought i'd repurpose it on the main feed on the run smarter podcast so here it is i have had a michelle success story in the past this is a different michelle (laughs) she was diagnosed with pht in 2016 and talks about her journey one of the Um, most frustrating things about her story and what's different to some of the other success stories I've had in the past was her um, drawn out process of actually reaching a diagnosis or an accurate diagnosis, I should say, because um, she saw 13 doctors before actually getting the PHT diagnosis. And we'll delve into that in a second. But uh, this particular story shows a lot of resilience and a lot of lessons that we can learn um, around strength training, around sit standing around um, just optimism and constantly striving for a management plan that's effective without giving up and just trying to reiterate and modify and just try new things. And uh, yeah, like I say, a lot of lessons that PHT sufferers and any running related injury or overuse related injury can learn from. And so I was pumped to have Michelle on. This is actually take two of our recordings because Um, last month we recorded and lost the recording audio. So a couple of weeks later, five, five weeks later or so, we came back on for round two and let's take it away. Michelle, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to talk with you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it as well because success stories are high on everyone's priority list. And whenever I ask for feedback, people are just like more success stories. (laughs) And so I thought reaching out that I think your story is, has a ton of lessons in there. And so, um, would you mind maybe just starting off with how the PHT came about, how long ago it was and, um, what, what transpired to bring on those symptoms? Sure. Um, I remember it started in 2016 in November when I was at a football game sitting on those nice metal stadium seats. And I just developed this pain in my, in my butt and um, thought, well, this is kind of weird. I don't know what this has to anything to do with, but, and it wouldn't go away. Um, 
so that was kind of disconcerting. Previous to that, I had been a special ed teacher and, or an inclusion specialist teacher or a, they're referred to a lot of different ways, intervention specialist um, at, in schools for about 20 years. And so I was constantly moving and not sitting a whole lot. But then previously in 2014, I had left that position and started a desk job. So this is about two years after that, but I continued to run and bike and do all of the things that I was normally doing with my teaching, but I wasn't doing a whole lot of strength training, um, but I was getting some tr strength training through my, through my teaching career. But like I said, when I went to the desk job, I, that kind of went kaput. Um, so sitting at this football game, I never would think that to connect anything to do with, um, strength training or not strength training or running or cycling or anything like that. I would just think, well, this is weird that this happened. Um, so I didn't really do a whole lot about it. Continued on my running, continued on my cycling. I think I did three half marathons that year. Um, wanted to train for a long bike ride. And um, then in 2017, I think I started picking up my cycling miles and was getting a lot more on the in the saddle time and that's when I really started having a lot more pain on just just one side on just my left side and um that was when it really picked up and so I thought oh gosh it has to it has to be cycling now okay it has to be that's the that's the evil thing so I stopped doing that and meanwhile you know had visited a few doctors and one was my you know primary care doctor and they didn't really know well we thought maybe this could be ischial from ischial or not ischial for my um piriformis syndrome which you know it seems to be a very common diagnosis that we all hear about and um went through some therapy for that that didn't really do anything went back to another doctor and you know worked on that and uh, had many different doctors to work with throughout the process which i'm sure we'll get into a little bit more Mm. And so you develop symptoms um, initially sitting on a hard surface or the hard chairs of the football game and still continued to exercise, still continued to run and symptoms were just, I guess, mild enough not to, um, not to stop you. And while symptoms continued, you were going to a doctor to try and get answers, but we're still exercising. Is that right? Yeah, because it wouldn't like it would hurt you know a little when I would start running but then it would go away after you know after you run for a little bit then it would go away so that just reinforces you of course to run more <laughs> so. gives you the green light yep I've seen that way, way too often <laughs> and then symptoms increased the following year once cycling picked up and then that was more cause for concern yeah and it was one of those things of like you know like we all seem to learn after the fact of that the pain comes around 24 to 48 hours after. So it's one of those that, again, you know, it's hard to make the connections immediately um, to that, you know, it's what you did a day or so ago. Um, so that was always another thing too, that was like, oh, so I, along the way, I finally did start to keep a journal of what I was doing. And so I could kind of backtrack and be a detective and find out, you know, what is it that's going on? What am I doing consistently here that's messing things up? But like you said, the pain was was um, definitely increasing throughout this time. And I was 
having the the sit job and I got to where when I was at the job, I couldn't sit anymore. So I got a stand up desk, which was great. But then after a while I got to where I was like, this is just uncomfortable just to stand. So, um, I told my, my boss said, I'm like, if I could, I guess I can just walk forever. I said, it was just the standing or the sitting. That's not good. And he was like, well, let's just get you a desk treadmill. And I said, right. <laughs> I've never heard of this. What is this? <laughs> you know, so, so he, uh, he, he showed one to me and I'm like, that's, I'm good. I'm let's get that. So that helped a lot, but that was of course, Oh, that was probably two or two or three years into it, you know, before we got that. One thing that fascinated me about your story was, um, seeking, trying to just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Seek a diagnosis, trying to seek medical professionals to, to help with this condition. And you said that you saw 13 doctors before you yes. actually received the PHT diagnosis, and that was in... Um, I think you said 2019. So what, three years later from symptoms initially starting. Um, do you mind talking through that, that experience and um, like what sort of diagnoses were, were arising and how treatment was um, suggested? Sure. Um, like I said, right away, I thought, oh, this, this can't be anything big. So I won't really worry about it too much. So I mentioned something that a uh, to my physical or to my primary care doctor. And she was like, well, it sounds like, you know, piriformis syndrome. She's like, let's, let's go with that. I said, okay. So started on that one, went through some physical therapy for that. And some things worked, some things didn't because, you know, they would have a mixture of strengthening and stretching exercises. And when I would do the strengthening, it'd be good. But when I would do the stretching ones, it would hurt again. Um, so, did that for a while and then was like, okay, this, this isn't it. And went back to a doctor and I'm trying to think which doctor that it went to. Um, the second one, I think the second one was a referral from my primary to, um, a bone, you know, to the bone doctor. And, and his, that second diagnosis was ischial bursitis. Um, and so in that one was the second one. Yes. And so I went through and did some things that he thought, you know, well, maybe we can do some, um, steroid injections or, you know, this kind of thing or whatever. And I'm like, ah, oh, I really like to try and keep out of injecting anything. Let's just try, you know, the least, least it's restrictive, you know, kind of thing first. So I did some, did some oral steroids. And that seemed to take some of the tension and pain away because I, at this point I was having issues with my, um, nerves and having issues with the sciatic nerve. And I was, um, really not being able to sit with that. So anyway, that was the second one. Then the third one. Oh, I don't know if I can remember what that one was. But then I know the fourth one was a Tarlov cyst 
diagnosis. And that one kind of has, is kind of like a garbage disposal um, of symptoms. It kind of covers everything. And so I thought, okay, this has got to be it. This has got to be it. And then I start looking into stuff and I'm like, oh, I don't think I want this to be it because there's really no recovery from it, you know, besides having surgery on your spine and didn't really want to do that. So I did go see a couple of the specialists in that, in that um, area. And one of them actually said, well, I think some of the things that you're experiencing are from the Tarlov cyst, but I think I'm not sure what this pain in your, in your butt is. He said, that's not really a Tarlov cyst. So that was really what triggered me to continue on to it another doctor. And he actually said, maybe you have some, um, genetic issues. And so I came back and went genetic route and found that, no, that's okay. I'm fine with it. And then saw another, no, sorry. So after that one, I came back and genetic, nothing was wrong with genetically. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go back through all of the diagnosis that I've had and see if they've missed something. And so I went to (laughs) YouTube of all places and ended up finding a video on, is it ischial bursitis or is it high hamstring tendinopathy? And from the Bob and not Bob and Tom, Bob and Bob and Brad, I remember the other, <laughs> I'm familiar. Bob and Brad, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, watched that video. And I think, you know, it's about six minutes in or so that they were talking about if you rub back and forth really hard, on your area where you're having issues with your pain and sitting and it doesn't increase your pain the next day, then they said, you probably have high hamstring tendinopathy. And I thought, well, I've been in a lot of pain. Let's try it. You know, so I did and I didn't have increased pain the next day. And I thought, Ooh, let's check out this high hamstring tendinopathy. So I went on that route and started checking things. Well, So I gave it some time before I went to another doctor after that, just to kind of see like, do you really think that this could be it? You know, because like I said, this has been, I think almost two years probably that I've gone through these things. So I thought, no need to rush into, (laughs) into another diagnosis. And, um, so I gave it about, I think it was probably a few weeks before I ended up making an appointment with a doctor that was referred to me by one of our friends who is a doctor. He said, you know, oh, she's, you know, she's a cyclist as well. And, you know, so she, she should probably know, you know, about these things. I'm like, okay, well, let's try that. And and I also got on Facebook and there's a, um, high hamstring tendinopathy, you know, Facebook page that we all know about pretty much that I just went and searched for Cincinnati and, looked for doctors in the Cincinnati area and ended up the recommendation was for um, one of our local doctors, Dr. Kremchek, who is the Cincinnati Reds team doctor. And I thought, okay, let's make an appointment with him and let's make an appointment with the other doctor that was recommended because at this point I'm, you know, pretty much making two appointments just to have backup and get a second opinion right away. So the first doctor that I saw that we recommended thought it was ischial tuberosity, or ischial femoral, sorry, ischial femoral impingement syndrome, I think is what it was called. And I'm like, okay, well, that one sounds kind of 
um, interesting, but I don't know if that's it. And, and I happened to bring up the PHT and she didn't think that that was it at all. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get a second opinion as well. Let's just go with it and see. So I, then I went to Dr. Kremchek and he did the, you know, he did the um, exam and, and he, he felt that it was PHT as well. And so I was kind of excited with the diagnosis because I thought, okay, I think we've finally gotten into something. And then I wasn't so excited when I started doing the therapy because, you know, it takes so long to, to see any change. But, um, so yeah, I ended up seeing 13 doctors and had six different diagnoses through the way. And, but I ended up not having any surgeries or anything like that done, which I'm very relieved. I think there's a few lessons to unpack there. Um, it sounds extremely frustrating just hearing your story and hearing like it's all in all, like if you know what PHT is and you know how to assess it, it's very easy to assess and diagnose um, if symptoms um, fit that of like a classic PHT. And so it could have just been so much easier for you if you just like went to the right health professional at the start. And so that's, that's why like my blood boils is it's just so frustrating just to hear that. But there are a few takeaways in here. I think one, the story or like the lesson around like an incidental finding when scanning the body, like uh, I'm assuming with the, the Tarlov cyst, they would have scanned the back or scanned the hips and seen that there may have been some abnormalities there, but the thing around incidental findings is you can have a particular, you could show up something on a scan that doesn't have anything to do with your symptoms. And in fact, that finding may be totally asymptomatic and not be producing anything, especially when it comes to the back. We have disc degeneration, disc bulges, we have um, arthritic changes, and all of these are very, very common in a healthy population. And so if they then point to, oh, there's a Tarlov cyst here, that's the diagnosis when in fact, that's probably most likely going to be a total incidental finding. Uh, did they do an MRI of the back or some sort of scans to diagnose that cyst? That, I did have some MRIs. I think I probably had six MRIs along the way. I had a couple of x-rays and that X-ray actually was how they found the Tarlov cyst. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just I agree completely with you because they've they've found so many things, you know, within your body that, or within my body, I guess I should say, that are not correct and not good. And but my body is still functioning, <laughs> yeah, as good as it can. Um, with even with those imp imperfections. The other thing I wanted to delve into is. The fact that treatment wasn't working and, you know, you'd find a diagnosis like piriformis syndrome and you'd say, yeah, well, the strengthening might make things a little bit better, but the stretching doesn't make things feel better. I don't think this is it. Let me sort out a second opinion. And I think that's very wise to not only, you're not trying to, um, like the, the diagnosis itself doesn't matter. What matters is if symptoms are improving or not. And then if they're not improving, that's when you need to start questioning either the diagnosis or the management of that diagnosis. And so you've done a very good job of paying attention, dissecting things and making sure that what you're currently doing, what is working, what isn't working, what are those individual factors to help you understand what, how your symptoms are behaving. I think that's a very important lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the same thing too of, you know, what works for me might not not necessarily work for someone else and what worked for someone else might not necessarily work for me. It's completely your body and you have to do what works for you. Um, for sure. So once you had that diagnosis, once you said, Oh, this, like this PHT sounds like my symptoms. It sounds like what I'm describing or what I've been going through the past two, three years. How did you then approach it? What was the initial management like? And were you starting to see results after the correct diagnosis was made? Yeah. So when I saw Dr. Kremchak, he, it happened to be on a Saturday, I remember. And he, in July of 2019, so it had been almost three years that I'd been dealing with it, which listening to some other people, that's not very long at all um, to have to have to deal with it. But he actually started me that same day with a PT, physical therapist, that was in his um, program there. And so and he didn't, I mean, he knew about PHT, but he had not, had a lot of experience with it. So I worked with him um, and I had already met my deductible for my insurance at this point. So I was like, you know, kind of thinking in my head, you're probably going to see me till the end of the year, whether you want to or not, because <laughs> I've already met everything on this and I'm going to get as much out of this as I can. Um, so he took me really as far as he could. But even after I had been doing PT for six months, I still had, you know, some, some slight pain with sitting and still, you know, couldn't do everything that I was felt like I should have been able to do at the end of, um, that time. And so I kind of was a little disgruntled and I thought, and they just kind of were like, well, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and keep in touch with us and let us know if things get worse, you know, we can start things up again. Um, or we can do some other things, you know, in, injections or things like that. And then once again, I'm like, I just don't really want to inject anything if I don't need to. Um, and so anyway, they, they had me go through and do some things and do some bridges and that kind of stuff. And I noticed improvement right away. Um, but it did level off a few months after. And that was, you know, kind of, like I said, disheartening. Um, so I mm. went ahead and continued on and then to the end of the year where we were, I was dismissed. And then in 2020, January of 2020, I started my own program. I'm, you know, it's kind of like, you know, get kicked off the school bus and, you know, okay, here you go. You're on your own. Bye-bye. Um, so I started some doing some running and, fast forward, I'll just fast forward really quickly. And, um, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'm doing too much physical therapy here after a while. I'm kind of started pulling back on it. Um, and then ended up having to flare up about six months later and then found a second physical therapist that this was during COVID time that I worked with and had a lot more success with him. And now I'm able to run again. I just did a Thanksgiving day race, you know, here in the States, um, just a few days ago and ended up winning my age group. And so it's one of those things like, you know, things are a lot better now and I can sit and do, it's just, it's exciting. I can ride my bike. <laughs> so, so things are, things are much better now. Can I maybe unpack that a little bit? So yes. after the, the first PT, when you started doing some strengthening, it seemed like you noticed 
initial benefits, but then the the benefits started to plateau out. And you you did mention some bridges. Um, and I query whether those exercises, those strengthening exercises, just weren't progressive enough, or you weren't progressing um, frequently enough to continue with those gains. Um, would you, th- looking back on it now, would you say that those strengthening exercises while they initially had the benefit, um, it then plateaued out because you weren't progressing the weight or progressing like the, how challenging the exercise was or those sort of parameters. No, I agree with what you're saying completely. I do feel like it, they weren't challenging enough or they weren't situated exactly how they should be. Like the bridges that I'm doing or that I was, that I had a lot more success with, with the second physical therapist, um, I do elevated bridges and, you know, do, do some things with that and have a lot more success with the bridge than just doing bridges that are level on the floor. You know, so it was just, it's a lot of, a lot of little, little things that the second, second physical therapist, which you know him, uh, Dwayne Scotty, he has a lot more knowledge about the physical therapy or about the PhD because he had it himself. He's also a runner. So he has a lot more knowledge about it and is really, was really good with guiding me through things. Um, the first physical therapist that I had, he had, he's not a runner. He didn't have it. He didn't have it, you know, his personal experience with PHT. So like I said, he took, he did as best as he could. Um, but I just don't feel like it was completely, um, guided towards exactly what, what somebody needs with that physical therapy with the, with the PHT, because, you know, like you said, with the, if you're not loading enough, then it's really, I guess I'm, I'm speaking out of, I don't know, I'm not from physical therapy land, but, uh, I'm guessing if you aren't loading it enough, then you're, it's really not like you're doing anything to it, I guess. Yeah. I think it's a trap that some people might have because initially when you notice that bridges or a certain, you can just name any type of exercise. If any strengthening exercise is showing a lot of benefit initially, you're like, yes, this is the answer. This is what I should be doing. And then you just become too strong for that exercise. Um, it becomes a trap where people are like, I've been doing my bridges for, you know, six months straight. And while I saw initial benefits, it's just not doing it for me anymore and strengthening isn't working. And a lot of people can interpret that as like, I've been trying all my strength rehab, like you suggest, but it just hasn't, um, it just hasn't done it for me. But then you go back and have a look at their history and yes, it did work initially, but you just haven't followed it up with that progressive quality because we all know that with strength and conditioning and with rehab, it needs to be progressive. Otherwise, you're just going to build yourself up. You're just capping your own ceiling and reaching a point where that exercise um, can't, can no longer do anything for you. It's now redundant. And the next step is to make it harder or progress the weight. Or um, like you say, you can make it more challenging by bridging with your feet up on a step and that particular focus and that timeline is crucial when it comes to these sort of exercises. Cause like I said, you just 
putting a cap on yourself and your ability to heal, it, it, it can be quite restrictive. I'm glad that you found Dwayne Scotty and Dwayne Scotty is a, a, um, a friend of the podcast. I, I love the work that he does and the information that he provides. And I think it is another crucial step to have, like you say, try and find a PT that is a runner as well or is experienced with yeah. seeing runners. You need to have someone who knows what it feels like to not be running or to start running and the, the certain parameters around hills or speed work or warm-ups and all those individual components uh, can be extremely helpful because a PT that is also a runner knows the ins and outs of running and knows what it feels like and the demands on the body in so many different aspects. And I'm glad that you've found your current success. And like I say, you're, you're back running and do you mind just maybe just giving a bit more of a, an insight into your current capacity and your current like cycling capacity as well? Yeah. Um, like I said, I left, I stopped working with Dwayne. Let's see, this is 20, the end of 2021. Stopped working with Dwayne at the beginning. Sorry, about a year ago this time. Um, and so, you know, I was running just a little bit then. I can't remember how much, you know, I think it was, I think when we finished our sessions together, I think I was running maybe three miles, two and a half or three miles. Um, and I started out, you know, he started, he guided me through and he wanted me running through, through the physical therapy process, which I was amazed with because, you know, with the previous physical therapists, they were like, nope, I'm going to tell you to stop running. You know, it's, that was you know, so complete, two completely different approaches with the PT. Um, but Dwayne, yes, definitely took me through the running, through the physical therapy um, process. And then... So about this time, about this time a year ago, I was doing about three, two and a half or three miles, um, at one running session. And now I'm up to, I think the longest run is nine or 10 miles. Um, I've just kind of been focusing on the shorter, um, the longest run I've done has been a seven K. So, you know, four, 4.3 something miles. Um, but I've been able to do well in these races a lot better than I had before the physical therapy and before the, the PhD diagnosis, but throughout the process too, of getting this PhD diagnosis, I also had some digestive issues and ended up finding out that I needed to eat more fiber and ended up because of eating more fiber, I ended up losing like 20 or 25 pounds. So that's helped increase the running ability as well. But, of course. Um, so yeah, like I said, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, that kind of just, kind of just came across, came along as well, which, so that's, that's a good thing. But, um, so yeah, like I said, the longest miles, longest that I run for long miles is nine or 10 miles. Um, I do speed work once a week, speed work or a tempo run once a week. And then, two other days of just easy running and then a couple of days of cycling. And I, I'm just, I'm on the trainer here because it's cold outside first of all. (laughs) And secondly, I don't want to, I'm not going super far. So it's easier just to climb on the bike in the basement rather than load it up and go somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, do those things and, but I'm just, I'm very thankful to be able to do all of those things and not be, in pain afterwards 
Absolutely. Well, congratulations on your success. Congratulations on your rehab. It seems like you're really hitting your stride with your fitness routine. And as we wrap up, are there any final takeaways? Maybe if someone is struggling with PHT and they're listening to this, any other final um, tidbits or lessons for them? Um, Yeah. As we wrap up. Um, I think the biggest thing that was very helpful to me while I was going through the physical therapy or while I was going through PHT issues and actually post PHT has been to take a diary. It's not a lot of fun, but to do a diary or a journal of your of your activities that you do every day, even what you eat. Um, and just to be able to see, you know, do I have any triggers here? Do I have any commonalities that I have? that are maybe setting off things, you know, or doing something that way. That helped me, I think, probably the most. And then now looking back is when I was trying to figure out how to get through the PhD and how to get over it. You know, you want to do it as quickly as possible, but also just to realize that, like I said earlier, what works for one person may not work for you, but to find yourself a good physical therapist who can identify with this and is willing to work with you and listen to listen to you when you say this hurts or this doesn't hurt or this doesn't feel right or whatever. Yeah. I love what you're saying when you talk about what works for you might not work for someone else. And I think while most of it, the management principles are still the same. I think, you know, the, the strength and conditioning portion, the, you know, slow return to running portion, the paying attention to symptoms along the way, all of these are kind of universal managements. But if you try out something that's worked for someone else and doesn't work for you, it's all about being resourceful enough or creative enough to try something different, try something different, keep finding something that works. And I think those, um, that initial, strengthening um, plan that you had is a prime example like the the bridges were working and then sort of plateaued out and it's up to the next step to be like okay this currently isn't working what should we do what should we try and as long as you're paying attention to your individual symptoms then that's the real goal for a, a tailored management plan as soon as it's not working change something up and see what trying to find something that does start working and so plenty of lessons to unpack here plenty of value um throughout your whole lesson i'm sorry this the whole experience has um happened and especially around that misdiagnosed for so many years and getting second opinions third opinions more scans more diagnoses yeah. so many times i'm sorry that's happened to you but i think it's an extremely yeah. valuable um story that a lot of people can learn from so thanks for coming on and sharing Thank you so much. I like to think of it as character building. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. You have a nice day, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, 
who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.